0: On today's episode of the Church Photographers Podcast, we fire up the time machine and revisit our early days as photographers. We discuss everything we wish we knew when we started out in photography to give you a jump start on your photography hobby or career. We'll cover the gear you need, how to maximize the gear you have, and other tips and tricks to shortcut your development as a photographer. But before we get there, I'm Rob Lauder.
1: And I'm Connor Strickland. And And this this is the the Church Church Photographers Podcast. Podcast.
0: All right. Hey, Connor. Hey, Rob. How's it going? I'm doing well, and I am super excited for today's episode and topic. You ready for a trip down memory lane?
1: Man, I'm so excited. I think what I'm looking forward to the most is that embarrassing story that you just told me about that one time. (laughs)
0: Actually, I cut that one out of the script. (laughs) Uh, but what we are going to talk about is all the tips and tricks that we have picked up over the years that we wish we knew early in our days as photographers.
1: Man, this is the episode that I wish that I had 10 years ago when I started photography. Same here. Uh, we struggle, listeners, so you don't have
0: to. Uh, but before we get to that, we've got a quick message from some friends of ours. All right, let's talk about photo management. Every photography team needs a place to store and share their photos. And when I first started my team at Summit... We tried everything. We tried Dropbox. We tried Google Drive. We looked into galleries like Smug Mug and Pixie Set, but they all had something missing and just something didn't work quite right. That's why we started using Fluoro Photos. Fluoro is a central place for growing photography teams to upload, tag, and share their photos. Uh, With Fluoro Photos, you can put an end to rogue Dropbox links. You can grow your photography team beyond just yourself, and you can make it easy to upload, tag, and... And search your entire photo library. Our entire photography team can upload their photos directly to Fluoro Photos. They can tag them by location, event, ministry, topic. And when it comes to finding those photos, our entire staff team can search Fluoro Photos and instantly find the photos that they need. For a limited time, Fluoro Photos is offering a free church photography guide to church photographers' podcast listeners. Inside that guide, you'll get a church photography checklist for all the must-have shots for any church event. You'll get camera recommendations that won't break the bank, and you'll find examples of moments that you can capture in your service and so much more. So you can get your copy of this great guide from Fluoro Photos by visiting churchphotoguide.com. Again, that's churchphotoguide.com. Dot com, ChurchPhotoguide.com to get your copy from our friends at Flora Photos. All right, we are back. We've got all sorts of wisdom to drop on you today. We're going to talk about lighting. We're going to demystify things like depth of field, and we're going to tell you everything that we wish we knew about things like how to interact with the people that we're photographing. Uh, but first, uh, let me tell you a little bit uh, about my journey into photography and how I started, because. I think it's helpful to know, Connor, where we where get we're our start from. where we're coming from. Yeah. And uh some of the things that we've experienced. We can't be as fabulous photographers as we are without um and I said that in a little tugging cheek by the way. You did. <laughs> without um uh, explaining how we got here. And failures and all yeah. of the other things. So let's get into that. Uh my story starts about 15 years ago. Um I had been the uh the editor for our school, high school yearbook, high school newspaper, we had a cheap uh, digital camera, which in that day was the Sony FD Mavica, man, which recorded uh, images to floppy disk. Wow, uh, and it was state big yard, and it held six whole photos man. on a one point four four megabyte floppy disk. <laughs> so imagine the resolution we were getting out of that. <laughs> Um, then I go to college and I start as a section editor for our yearbook, uh, there. And one day our photo editor for our yearbook is like, Hey, we need somebody to cover convocation and we need somebody to do it now. And he throws his camera in my hand. Uh, I look at the the body, and it says Nikon D2X, hmm. uh, which was, uh, I didn't know at the time, like top of the line yeah. gear. Big step uh, up from your high school right, camera. Right. And it's like the, you know, we've got the D6 coming out soon, and it's like the equivalent of that. Um, but I didn't know this. Um, <laughs> and then he puts this massive lens in my hand. It's a 300 millimeter 2.8 prime.
1: Man.
0: And so here I am carrying probably 15 or 20 grand worth of uh, photo gear. Uh, my previous experience had been that little point shoot yep. and he's like, you know, just set the aperture and the F stop and the shutter speed just all over your head. And I'm like, yeah, I had absolutely no yeah. idea what any of that stuff meant. Um, but it worked out and I actually got some workable images <laughs> and that was the, uh, the, really my first, uh, foray into professional photography. Yeah, And so I was just thrown into it and, and kind of left to sink, or swim, yeah, it sink out. or swim, figure it out on my own. Uh, and, you know, very much self-taught. And so between then and and now, um, I mean even recently, uh, there's there's stuff that I've learned in in the area of photography that I'm mm-hmm. like, man, I, like that makes so much sense. I wish I knew that 15 years ago, yep. and I would have been such a better photographer. Yeah, um, you yeah, know, I shot uh, sports photography at Wake as well, and so learning about about things like shutter speed and how it corresponds to aperture and all that stuff. Um, would have uh, you know, probably helped me get some some better quality photos. Yeah. Things like white balance when you're shooting outdoors versus when I'm shooting basketball, you know, on on the court, you know, with under indoor lighting. Well, yeah. you know, all that stuff. Um, I just didn't have the vocabulary or framework to deal with. Yep. So uh, hopefully, this in this episode, we can cover a lot of those things and just just give little. You know, we're not going to go in depth and make this a full course or anything. But little tiny tidbits to give you vocabulary and concepts that you can work from. And they can go Google, that you can go search for, or we'll tell you about some cool resources we have as well
1: um, that will help you go into in-depth with some of these concepts. But that's my story. Connor, what's your story, man? Yeah, so my story into photography started about 10 years ago when I first picked up my first camera. So you were four uh, or five? Uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I was actually a uh, freshman year in high school. Kay. So I've been kind of dabbling with like, you know, families, photo or Camera and some photography, some family events and stuff when I was like real little, but no real interest in it. Um, through high school, got really involved in photography and primarily videography. That's kind of my background is on the mm-hmm. video side of things. Um, then I go into college, and that's really when I kind of started taking, essentially started getting paid gigs, um, helping churches do sporting events. I went to App State doing a lot of photography for them. Um, And then I kind of got burned out, to be honest, doing a lot of photography. I sold actually all of my photography gear, bought entirely videography gear. um, It was like, this is what I'm going to do. And real quick, I learned that doing anything in this field, you need to also know how to do photography. Mm -hmm. And the tools and the techniques that I lacked in photography, I didn't realize how much they translated over to videography. Mm -hmm. So at that point, I was like, okay, I need to rebuy all that gear that I just sold, which was not the most financial um, best decision that I could have made. And then I started doing both of them pretty much full time, kind of my sophomore, junior year of college. Mm -hmm. Um, And then that's led me to where I'm at today. So whether it's websites or content for social or whatever, I can grab my own professional photos as well as the videos as well.
0: Yeah, having that diverse skill set I think is so clutch. Being yeah. able to, uh, in in the hearts and minds of the people who are going to bring you in uh, as a photographer, photo and video are like the same. Exactly. Two completely different disciplines. Exactly.
1: Um, exactly. So and that's what I learned was I like go in to do videos and be like, oh, are you here, can you grab photos? And I'm like... Um, I mean, I can, but it's going to be on my iPhone because I'm primarily shooting just on a camera that's a power horse for video. Yeah. Cool. So um, we're
0: going to go into all sorts of little details about things that we've learned over the years. And it's kind of going to be like rapid fire. We'll just go through a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Um, but we'll kind of break it down into a few categories. Uh, first thing is things that we wish we knew about shooting in general. Yep. And for me, like I mentioned earlier in my story, the the number one thing that I wish I knew earlier and this is the fundamental skill that you need as a photographer. That's understanding your exposure triangle. Yep. And the exposure triangle is the relationship between a few different settings on your your camera, uh, your shutter, your aperture, and your ISO. Yep. And so let's take each one of those things and just kind of break it down a little bit. Again, we're not going to go super in-depth here, but we're going to tell you what these things are. And so that way, if you are a beginner photographer, f- photographer you can go out and Google those things and um learn more about them for sure all right so first thing is shutter let's talk about shutter Connor yeah um, shutter is uh, you know if you're shooting a DSLR not a mirrorless uh, you know what the shutter is it's the thing that goes click yep. right um, and basically the longer your shutter is open so the the slower that click when you, you know, when you hit your 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 shutter button the more light your cameras letting in so that's one thing that goes into uh, how Overexposed, underexposed or properly exposed your images are. Um, second thing is aperture. And so mm-hmm. aperture gets a little weird because aperture isn't as tangible. It's not as uh, readily available to see what's happening on so, yep. your camera. Or hear it or. Yeah. So uh, aperture is the second uh, corner of the exposure triangle. and Aperture refers to how the inside of your lens, there's a diaphragm that opens up and gets wider and, and, and narrower to let more or less light in. And so um, we're going to talk about how that affects other things on your camera here in just a minute. But in principle, um, the the lower the f-stop on your camera. The, Which is so also the aperture. Aperture. Um, w- so like a, an f2.8 or if you have a really nice lens, an f1.8 or 1.4. Uh, the lower that number, the, the, the wider your aperture and the more light it's letting in. That number, if you're curious, refers to the, the relationship between the actual physical size of that aperture and your focal length. And so as um, you know, the wider your aperture, the lower the ratio, um, all the way up to lenses, you know, some lenses go up to like F22 or F32, which is a tiny, tiny little pinhole that's not letting a lot of light in. And so um, if you're shooting in dark situations and you need more light, wider aperture, but then that will also affect other things that we're going to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, third thing that's going to affect your exposure is your ISO. Uh, so back in the film days, this was your ASA or your film speed. Uh, basically, it's how sensitive is your camera's sensor to the light that's coming in. And so your camera's determining like how readily are we going to soak up Uh, this light that's available and so uh, when you're using automatic modes on your camera uh, your camera will kind of evaluate the scene it'll see how much light is available and then how much um, where do we set these different values Mm -hmm. Um, there are on most cameras um, most dslrs and mirrorless anyway um, you can also choose between what's called shutter priority mode or aperture priority mode mm-hmm. mode where it gives you a little bit of control and then the camera starts to figure out some of the rest yep. so I uh, you know if, if I'm going to shoot in in a, in a uh, programmed auto mode like that, uh, I'm going to typically shoot in uh, aperture priority, mm-hmm. and that's saying I'm going to set the aperture, and then camera, I want you to tell me Do how the fast rest. does my shutter speed need to be yeah. in order to get a proper exposure. Yeah. Um, so that's helpful if I want to. It's like, hey, I'm shooting in the church environment; it's super dark. I want to have that wide open aperture so mm-hmm. I can get as much light as I possibly can. Now, camera, you pick um, the shutter speed. Yeah. And a lot of times that that works out pretty well. Yeah.
1: Um, Would you say that you do that often more than complete manual mode on a f- on a camera? So personally, I'm, I prefer fully manual. Okay, um, I, I, your expertise totally yeah, understandable.
0: Because and here's why: sometimes, when particularly if you're shooting in a dark environment like a church, um, the subject, like you know, the person on stage, is is super bright, mm-hmm. um, but then the background is dark. And depending on what metering setting you choose for your camera and how it evaluates the amount of light mm-hmm. available. Um, if you are metering to the entire scene, you're going to have a really bright spot, a lot of dark spots, and it's going to average those out. And it's going to give you, you know, a a shutter speed that might not be ideal. Yeah. And so that's where learning to shoot manual um, will go a long way. um, And understanding those three corners of the exposure triangle will uh, will help you do that. Yeah, definitely. Um, Let's talk about depth of field. Yeah. You want to take that one?
1: Yeah, so this is something that... um, a lot of people ask, or when they see photos online, they're like, that's what I want. I want it to be really blurry in the background. I want me to be in focus. Um, let's just make that happen. But a lot of times, I've learned that with some photographers, or especially beginning photographers, right now, the big trend is all like bouquet and like, oh, how can I make everything super blurry and the lights behind them? Um, that's what depth of field is. Um, and it's obviously the relationship between the apt There's a big relationship between aperture and the depth of field. Mm-hmm. So like you were saying, the lower the ratio is in the aperture, the higher or the, the more depth of field there's going to be, the more blurry yeah. is going to be behind the subject. Mm-hmm. Um, So the relationship between focal length and depth of field. So for example, an 85 millimeter 1.4 will have a shallower depth of field than say a 35 millimeter 1.4.
0: Right. So like when you're shooting with a a lens that has a longer focal length Mm -hmm. and focal length, if you are a newbie to photography is going to be like the zoom of your lens. How closely does it zoom in? So like a 35 millimeter is going to be a pretty wide lens, yep. um, versus an 85, which is going to be kind of a mid telephoto. Yep. Uh, the workhorse of the church photography world is often the 70 to two eight <laughs> or 70 to 200 two eight lens, yep. which at the long end is 200 millimeters. That's you know, going to zoom in a lot closer. Yep. Um, the, the 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 longer your focal length, the more zoom, the more compressed and narrow that depth of field is going to mm-hmm. be. And so you get more blurry in the background, you get more blurry in the foreground. Um, and so that's a, another thing to consider as you're uh, kind of composing your shots and thinking about how they're going to look.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Another thing is that you don't have to shoot like wide open all the time. Um, when we say wide open, what do we mean there? Like you don't have to have your aperture... Absolutely as high as it mm-hmm. can to, in order to capture all the light. So stop up, um, your aperture when you're shooting portraits and groups, landscapes, et cetera.
0: Yeah. And like, uh, yeah, I, I shoot with a lot of bands cause mm-hmm. I do music photography yep. as well. And, uh, even, I mean, even as recently as like a few months ago, like sometimes, you know, like I, I'm thinking in live photo mode. So I'm like, hey, it's going to be dark. It's, I'm going to need like all the light I can get, yep. get my aperture as wide open as possible. Uh, but then I'll like shoot like five guys on a couch And like, there's three guys in the front, and then there's two guys in the back, Mm -hmm. and they're at a different, you know, focal plane. Yeah. And so, if I'm shooting wide open, and I'm getting, yeah, that that very narrow depth of that narrow focal plane to where, like, only the three guys in the front are in focus, but then the three guys in the back are blurry. Like, you know, a lot of times when you're shooting a band, you got like five minutes to do it before a set. And so there's no time to go back. I was like, oh, man, hey, I I missed the focus on that one. I'm actually half the
1: hour out of focus in this photo, yeah.
0: Yeah, and so I've I've lost some really good shots and good opportunities doing that. So uh, in general, if you're shooting in a dark environment, it's good to have that wide open aperture. But there's some times where you just don't want to have your camera wide open all the time. Like like you said, groups, uh, landscapes, you know, a landscape looks really good when everything is in focus. Yeah and so sometimes i shoot a landscape on an f11 or f16 mm-hmm. um, if you ever see photos too with like that that cool starburst pattern yeah uh, the the pro tip on how to get that is very very narrow aperture and very wide angle lens mm-hmm. so uh, you know, as wide as your lens will go and as uh, as narrow as your aperture can get while still getting enough light yep. in Yep. Um, you'll get that cool star effect. Uh, yeah. That could be like if you're shooting outdoors in the sun, you can get that cool starburst with the sun uh, or indoors. And it's a lot tougher to do this in like a church setting. Yeah. Um, you got to have a lot of good front lighting to, to make sure that your subject is well lit. Yeah. But um, stop up a little bit, get creative, try some stuff with um, trying to get like you know, the, the lights behind the subject yeah. and get them those stars. Um, there's other ways you can do that too, but uh, no, your aperture is one way to, to pull that off. Yeah. Um, what about like when you're shooting portraits and, uh, you know, you're kind of getting up close, uh, where do you need to consider depth of field and aperture with portraiture?
1: Yeah. Cause a lot of people will have portraits where they'll have one eye in focus and the other one is out of focus. And to be honest, that is, that is just not a good look. Mm-hmm. It's not a good look to do a headshot and have only half their face in focus. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is the fine line between blurring out the background yet keeping everything in the foreground and focus versus having just one person standing in a big room and it's all in focus. Mm-hmm. So being able to walk that line between being low enough to where there's there's that depth of field, yet also being wide enough to where you're not cutting off certain focal points.
0: Yeah. And for listeners uh, who are kind of going through this and and you're in that new photographer mode and all of this is uh, new to you and kind of overwhelmed, we're actually going to be putting out some courses that will teach you exactly how to do all of these things. We'll have visual examples which don't play well over radio. Um, and you'll be able to see and interact with, with the, the, the different concepts yep. here. So uh, be on the lookout for that. Don't get too overwhelmed here. Uh, we just want to give you this, these concepts and these ideas so you have a starting point. Yep. Um, the, the third thing that I wanted to talk about from a shooting perspective is not a technical thing about your camera, but more of a soft skill, um, and that's how to interact with people. Mm-hmm. Um, like we've talked about in previous episodes, like a lot of us are behind the camera because we don't want to be in front of the camera. Absolutely. Right? Like it's, it's our, uh, our way of kind of standing back and observing. Yep. Uh, but when you're shooting particularly in like your church lobby or you're taking photos of volunteers, um, you, there are people involved yep. and, and rather than like in a, in the auditorium where your worship team's on stage and they don't really care what you're doing, uh, these people seem to have an acute awareness they that do. you exist and that that you are taking photos of them. And they
1: will always spot out the photographer in the crowd.
0: They will, and it doesn't make it, make it any easier that your camera is going click, click, click. <laughs> yeah, and absolutely. All that other stuff. Um, so I've learned over the years uh, how to interact with people, but I mean, like I've been at this for 15 years now, yeah. and I still find it awkward. Yeah. Uh, and when I started out, I found it super awkward.
1: Yep. To where you don't even get the shot because you're like, I'm going to walk the other
0: direction. Right. You know, it's like, oh, they looked at me. I. I yeah, better walk away yep. you know, unless they feel uncomfortable. Yep. Um, so here's, here's um, the one thing that I learned very early when I was shooting events um, was like when you are the event photographer and your job is to capture what's going on, you will get in the way. Yep. You have to get in the way. What you need to learn is how to get in the way then get back out of the way after you've gotten your shot. Yep. Um, to be as inconspicuous as possible while you're being as conspicuous yeah. as you're going to be. <laughs> um, And so like I've talked to a, a bunch of photographers, and the number one thing that that photographers in the church, by the way, struggle with uh, is interacting with people. Yep. We talked about this in our last podcast. For sure. Um, and a lot of people say, like, hey, I want to learn how to be less conspicuous. And I think the other side of that is you need to learn how to be comfortable with being conspicuous. Yep. Um, so that's just like the the general generic interacting with people. Um, how do you find like when you're shooting photos or when you're shooting video, even um, making your subjects comfortable being on camera? So like we've we've bridged the gap now yep. between like am I engaging or not? It's like all right, you're engaging with people. Yep. What are some strategies that you've developed to make people feel comfortable uh, being on camera and being photographed?
1: Yeah. So for me, I play into my nonverbal expressions a lot. So how am I interacting with them behind the camera? So whether that is feeling welcoming, friendly, a smile, some super simple things that aren't going to take away from whatever you're filming. So whether it's, um, a wedding or at a church or a live event, something, anything that you can do to make them just feel more comfortable, knowing that you don't have the time to actually walk up to them and say, Hey, look, here's what we're doing. I'm about to get some photos, all of that stuff can go a long way. The simple things of making a smile and just you can just see in them, like okay, oh, like they become more comfortable. They they get a smile back. Perfect. Now you just smile for my photo. So
0: you put that camera down. You engage with your eyeballs before you engage with the camera. Lines, exactly. And now it's two people interacting rather than them interacting with a, a camera. One hundred percent. One of the things that our pastor says uh, about evangelism, and uh, this isn't photography, is that ev- uh, like an evangelistic conversation is two uncomfortable people talking to one another. Yeah. Uh, I think the same thing rings true and and photography. It's yeah. Like. You're both uncomfortable. Exactly. I'm uncomfortable photographing you. You're uncomfortable being photographed. So let's acknowledge that. There's a mutualness that, there. Non verbally or verbally. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, kind of break that wall. And then you relax, you loosen up. Yep. Um, the one thing that I do is, like, you know, kind of like to your point, always making sure that you, as a person, acknowledge the other person. Yep. Um, and a lot of times, like, it. it, it If Like inside, in your gut, it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go take a picture of this person and they might feel uncomfortable. There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of anxieties that could be coming up there. Um, As a photographer, you need to acknowledge that that it exists. Um, But then I find it's like, hey, guys, can you help me with a quick photo? Like that language. Rather than it's like, hey, can I take your photo? It's like, can you help me get a quick photo? It's like, hey, we're going to partner up. We're going to work together and we're going to make something. And, you know, I'm kind of communicating by, can you help me get this photo? It's like, uh, I'm doing my job. Yep. Like, I'm, I'm documenting what's going on here. And would, there's probably going to be some good use for it. Exactly. If I'm trying to capture this photo. Yep. Um, And so it's like, hey, can you help me get a quick photo? And then it's like now we're partners and we're working together to create something that's going to have a purpose rather than just like, oh, hey, who's this dude with the camera pointing at me? Exactly. Particularly when you're like shooting with a long lens and you're standing across the auditorium. That's, I mean, that that could be tip number two or three or whatever we are on and is shoot with a long
1: lens. Yeah.
0: So you don't have to be right in their face. And don't be noticed. But then... Also have your contingency plan for when they do notice you. Yeah,
1: because there Uh, there will be that time where they look across the auditorium and see a massive camera staring right back mm -hmm. at them, and they're like, "Oh gosh, how many are there? Everywhere I turn, is there going to be a photographer?"
0: Yeah, I also find that when I'm uh, like, if if, whether I'm in a studio like portraiture session or if I'm shooting an event, Mm -hmm. um, this everything that I capture early is going to be stiff and awkward but as people warm up to you being there so if you're shooting like headshots or something like that like don't just shoot one headshot and be done yep. shoot you know hey let's try this angle let's try this angle yep. knowing that the first half is going is garbage absolutely the first half is them getting used to being
1: photographed yep. and then they're
0: comfortable and, and yep. they'll be photographed you
1: get fake smiles you get stiff posture you get all of that stuff mm-hmm.
0: yeah and don't be afraid like you know to say hey let's loosen up let's shake it off yeah uh, in, in the middle yeah so yeah. that's um, that's uh, how to interact with people. Um, maybe it's time for a quick break, and I think then we'll so. come back and we'll talk about gear. Absolutely. All right, quick break, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Hey, Connor, let's talk about what we have going on over at churchphotographers.com.
1: Yeah, Rob, we know how hard it is to be a part of a church photography team. We both serve as photographers at our church. You lead our photography team. So we experience the challenges that leaders and volunteers go through every week.
0: That's right, and that's why we're excited to announce the launch of a brand new resources for church photographers and team leaders, churchphotographers.com.
1: At churchphotographers.com, we're building a vault of free resources that will help you grow as a photographer, and if you are a team lead, lead your team well. Yeah, all this and more
0: can be yours absolutely free, but you do need to be on the list. We don't allow just anybody in here. So, Connor, tell them how they can get access to the goods.
1: Yeah, you can get on our list by joining our online community, Church Photographer Nation. To do that, head over to churchphotographers.com. That's churchphotographers.com. Click the free resources button and sign up today. And then once you're in, you'll
0: have access to all of our goodies, past, present, and
1: future. You'll
0: also be the first to know when new resources are available. And so if you want in, and we think you will, head over to churchphotographers.com, give us your deets, and we'll send you those resources your way. All right, now we are back. Uh, We're going to talk now a little bit about gear. So this is the things that we wish we knew starting out about our gear And um, I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions Mm -hmm. that go into, like, what kind kind of gear do I need? What kind of gear do I want? What kind of gear does different things? Um, Do I want mirrorless? Do I want DSLR? Do I want a crop sensor? Do I want a full full frame? All these other things. And so we're going to drop some wisdom about what we wish we knew when we started out about gear um first camera that i ever personally purchased um first dslr anyway it was a a nikon d3100 Mm -hmm. and the reason i got it was like yeah you know i shot back in college took a break from it out because i didn't have my own gear Mm -hmm. and then i had kids and (laughs) i think this is like everybody's story all right i got kids not my story yet right not yet i'm still Um, i'm still a kid i'm not gonna argue with that (laughs) um but, you know, it's like, hey, you know, I want to document my kids growing up and I want better than my iPhone camera. Yep. Uh, even though, I mean, the iPhone 11 just got mm-hmm. announced. Uh, we're going to kind of date ourselves here in a year from now when uh, new stuff comes out. Yep. but It's got a pretty rocking camera. It does. Or three cameras, three, exactly. the case might be. Exactly. Um, anyway, so I want to be able to document my kids. And so I want that that nice camera. Mm-hmm. That, oh, and to me, nice at that time was like, oh, different lenses, you know, stuff like that. Yep. Um, and so I bought a Nikon d thirty one hundred. Um, I knew nothing about sensor size I yep. uh, knew nothing about um, how glass or lenses affected yep. uh, my my photography. And so I started out with uh, the, uh, with the D3100. Um, and what I realized after maybe a year or so it's like you know I was shooting f- photos of my kids and then, I really was like, hey, I'm enjoying photography more. I want to go shoot landscapes. I want to go shoot this, that, and the other thing. And I'm like, I, I looked at my images, and the very best I could do was like, Nowhere even remotely close to what I saw, like even like on Unsplash or Instagram yeah. and stuff like that. So like, why? Like, yep. why am I not getting the, the quality of images? And the big thing was that it was sensor size. Yep. Um, sensor size refers to the physical size of the the sensor in in your DSLR or or mirrorless camera um, that captures light. Yep. So it's like the 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 film of the film world. Um, if you open up your DSLR and, and you look inside, there's a mirror, mm-hmm. unless you're shooting mirrorless, yep. obviously. Um, but then underneath that mirror on a DSLR is the sensor. And so you can actually like go into mirror lockup mode and see your sensor and it looks mm-hmm. really cool when it's red and it's got like rainbow colors and stuff. <laughs> and then if you touch it, you ruin your camera. You're, counter, you're, so you're just done, do it. exactly. Um, but it, it refers to the physical size of that sensor that captures the light. And, uh, you know, Generally speaking, if you are shooting with a full-frame camera, which is a generally like a 35 millimeter ish. Sensor size versus a crop sensor camera, also known as APS-C, mm-hmm. um, which is a physically smaller sensor size. The larger the sensor, the more light it's going to get the and, and the, the higher quality, quality your photos are going to be. That says nothing about megapixels. Like you can have a crop sensor with high megapixel count um, or a full frame with a lower megapixel count. Um, this is, uh, in general, generally speaking, a full frame is going to get you better results. Yeah. Um, what do you think about brand? Does, does brand matter? And have you found differences between brand?
1: You know, I really haven't found, um, for my, I think it's all personal opinion. So I grew up shooting. Careful what you say, cause I might fight you on uh, You might, you might. So I grew up shooting primarily Canon when I, do you use an Android phone too? I do not. I'm an <laughs> iPhone user at least, but I grew up using Canon. Um, all my lenses and glass and everything are still Canon based. I, when I switched over to videography, I moved over to Panasonic not a big fan, moved back to Canon. And then just recently, I have now switched over to the Sony game. So I am someone who obviously, I'm not a loyal fan um, because I constantly bounce around. Mm -hmm. And for me, the only real thing that I can personally say I've been able to tell difference is just the color profiles. Um, So the true colors that come out, I have found that Canon produces the closest to the true color that you actually see. Um, Sony has some issues with some blue and greens, Panasonic, just has many issues when it comes to color. Um, and I've actually never shot on an icon.
0: Cool. Well, all I shoot is an icon. Exactly. Um, so I'm an icon guy and it, for no other reason of that's the camera that was putting my hands back in college. Yep. And so it's like, Hey, this is what I, I, I know this is what I, I'm used to. And so when I, when I started looking for my first DSLR, let me get into yep. Um And you know now that I've upgraded to a full frame body, and you know, strongly considering a mirrorless purchase. I'm like, hey, Nikon's what I know and what I like, and yep. so that's what I'm going to stick with. Yep. Um, there are like bitter feuds in the photography 100%. world about what body is best, yep.
1: and uh, for the most part, I do not care.
0: Yeah. You know, I was uh, at
1: a shoot yesterday afternoon shooting on a Sony, and the event I was just there to produce content for one speaker. The event photographer came up to me and was like why are you using Sony? And I was like, why are you using Canon? And it was just awkward to look at each other, and then we just both kind of went our own right. ways. And I'm very similar to you, are. Er, I personally don't really care the brand that I'm using.
0: Yeah, I will say um, I, I agree with you on color, on yep. Canon. I think Canon, Canon colors are beautiful. Yep. Um, I th- think Nikon is probably like... You know, Catching up yep. in that regard. Um, another thing that differs between different brands, uh, particularly when it comes to, to camera body, is the control schemes. For sure. Um, and so, like a, a lot of folks will get locked into like I'm used to. Like I cannot stand Canon's click wheel. Uh, um, but uh, sometimes I'm like, you know, when I'm pushing the little arrow buttons on my Nikon for 45 minutes trying. to find I wish a photo, I had a wheel spin. <laughs> I wish I had one. Right. <laughs> and then, um, in general, uh, you know, Nikon just entered the mirrorless game. Uh, Nikon hasn't been a workhorse when it comes to video. Yep. Like Sony's um, A7S series. Yep, that's that's uh, what I shoot like, video on. Yeah, it's like kind of like you know super popular and yep. trendy right now. Um, I'm still going to go with Nikon, though. I'm going to try
1: out this. I to SF. say, maybe, I'm, maybe that's the pattern I'm seeing is that I'm just a trend jumper. So yeah. I'm like, oh, it's all on Sony? Let me hop on that bandwagon.
0: Yep, whereas here I am, stable and, and loyal. Exactly. Uh, at I at guess comes age, program. comes wisdom. Perhaps. I don't know. Um other thing gear wise that really makes a difference is glass yep. and when we say glass we're referring to the lenses that you put on your DSLR um, and one thing that I did not realize as I was going from my crop sensor camera with my kit lens mm-hmm. kit lens is just a lens that comes with your camera kind of like that versatile all in one lens yep to um, to to investigate in good gear is how expensive good glass can be 100%. and how big of a difference it, it makes So uh, in addition to the actual body that you're shooting with the quality and type of, of lens that you're using, Will have a significant impact on the quality of the photos that you're you're producing. Yep. And so my first lens when I upgraded to a full frame body, I upgraded the D750 and Nikon's line um, was uh, a Sigma Art 24 to 105 f4. Yep. And the reason I got that was because one, it's a good versatile lens in terms of focal length. So 24 is pretty wide. Yep. Uh, 105 is is a good portrait uh, focal length. Um, but the downside was that f4 is not the best aperture for yep. low light. It did the job, yeah. Uh, and I still own that lens. It is like it is the sharpest lens in my bag. It is, and it it's is still incredible. a widely popular lens. Indeed, uh, Nikon has a version, Canon has a version, mm-hmm. uh, but the Sigma Art line is incredible. Um, but good glass matters a lot. It doesn't make sense to upgrade in a super expensive high end camera body and then skimp out on glass. And just use the the lens kit or the kit lens. Yeah. And, and here's what they'll tell you, like, as you're buying lenses, if you go to your local camera store, um, if you're buying camera gear, bodies, lenses, and whatever, um, is that, uh, your camera body will come and go. Yep. Your lens will hold its value. I'm still, I have lenses in my bag that are from a 1970s Minolta. Yeah. That I use, they're manual focus. I still use them with an adapter. Yep. there. I'm they're, I'm ultimately they're like really bad lenses. But I still shoot with it. yeah, because right? sometimes it's fun to pull them out.
1: Exactly, and that's even though I have bounced from Canon to Panasonic to Sony, all of my glass is the same brand.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, and he- here's the thing though: good glass doesn't necessarily mean name brand gla- glass. Yeah, exactly. Um, I shoot with Tamron glass 100 m- most of the time. Uh, so Sigma Art is a great line. It was my first lens, but for value versus quality, yep. Tamron's producing some really cool stuff. Yeah, look for Tamron G two lenses. Um, G two is their second generation of stabilization, um, and the, the seventy to 200 two eight, like I can drink like four cups of coffee, and like eat a bunch of gummy bears and be hyped up and shaking like trembling, yep, and flip on the image stabilization and it looks like you get shots like it's
1: on a tripod, yeah,
0: perfectly still, yeah, um, so good glass matters, but you don't need to spend a whole lot. Like most lenses in that line. Uh, the Tamron G two line, so i got ai have their fifteen to thirty millimeter mm-hmm. two eight I have their seventy to two hundred two eight um they're in the twelve to thirteen hundred dollar yep. range brand new yep. which gets us into our next point, and that sometimes buying used gear is really really smart, yeah, so tell us about your used gear experience
1: yeah um honestly, I think all of the gear i have i bought used, whether from eBay or refurbished on B&H or at a local camera store. Um, Because most of the gear that I have was I bought when I was coming out of college. So coming out of of college, you don't really have that much money to invest in your gear. Knowing I was doing this full time, it was an investment for me. And when you have kids, you don't have a lot of money to invest (laughs) in your gear. So uh, that's (laughs) my story as well. Exactly. Um, General speaking, there's not much money to go around for photography needs. Mm -hmm. So I have been, knock on wood, extremely pleased um, with... All of the used gear that I have bought is practically been brand new. There's a lot of things you need to look at. So not only just look at the the pictures of it, but look at the shutter count. Um, look at how often it's been used. Look at the purpose it's been used. Um, and for me, the the Canon Mark, the Canon 5D that I bought had like 2,000 shutter clicks. So for me, I was like, oh, this is practically almost a brand new camera. And the guy was just trying to get rid of it. So a lot of things worked out. But for me, I'm a huge advocate of buying used gear, especially if you don't fully know the camera or the model or anything that you're really wanting to get. Don't go on and spend the top of the line, spend all that money to get it Buy a used camera, learn how to use it, get the most of it. And then at that point you can then decide what route you're going to go.
0: Absolutely. My, uh, my first full frame body purchase was the D 750 and I bought that used from our local camera store. Yeah. And uh, like, I can't say enough good things about local camera stores. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, There's not that many around anymore.
0: There's not that many around, but if you find one and you find a good one, um, the folks who there are who are there are obviously not there to make a gazillion dollars. Yep. Um, but they are super passionate about what they do. They love helping. And so they, and like, you know, they'll have used gear, they'll have new gear, they'll know what's, what's, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and unlike the used car salesman, uh, who just wants to push something off on yep. you, uh, they'll genuinely ask you and consider like what's, what's best for you. Yep. Um, And so I can't say enough good things about uh, local camera stores. Um, Give a shout out to our local camera store. My preference is Peace Camera.
1: I use Southeastern
0: right here across the street. Neither of them are sponsors, but whichever one wants to sponsor us first is the (laughs) official recommendation.
1: Podcast at churchphotographers.com is the way that you can contact us. Thank you.
0: All right. So yeah, shout out there. And then also uh, one cool experience I had was uh, when I did a a mission trip to Calgary Mm. and the camera store that has like the 2 million YouTube followers, went there and checked them out. Um, They helped me clean my sensor, which was kind of cool. Um, So let's say that's another thing, like Peace uh, Camera locally here will clean your sensor for you. Yeah. Uh, And it's like, I don't want to...
1: I'm not touching it. it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. 100%. Um, So that's another advantage of local camera stores. All right, we're going to get back into this conversation, but we got so involved in this conversation. We had so much that we wanted to cover and share that this became a enormous monster of an episode. And so... This is going to be the end of part one of a conversation. And so what you need to do is you need to tune in next week if you are enjoying this content. Uh, Be sure to jump on iTunes, jump on wherever you are listening to this podcast, leave a review, subscribe if you're not already subscribing. Every little bit helps and we will look forward to picking up this conversation next week on the Church Photographers podcast. All right, Connor, before we go, I want to tell our listeners about our production sponsor, our friends over at Simple Church Co., and I can say uh, genuinely here that they are our friends because, Connor, you are my friend, and
1: you are the mastermind behind Simple Church Co., so how about you give them the pitch? Thanks, Rob. Simple Church Co. is on a mission to make church marketing, well, simple. We offer a unique pay-as-you-are-able model, allowing us to work with any church, any size, and most importantly, any budget. You aren't paying for our services. Instead, your your contribution is helping your brothers and sisters spread the gospel. And that's awesome. I, I so appreciate the work that you're doing to serve the church. Uh,
0: and so if our listeners are interested in working with Simple Church Co., how can they find out more?
1: To learn more about Simple Church Co., please visit simplechurch.co. Once again, that's simplechurch dot co that's simple music yeah.